Hello, and welcome back to those of you who listened to episode one. If this is your first episode, thanks for stopping by. I'm Chris, and this is the How Does This End podcast, my attempt to scratch out a place for my original stories. This story, unlike the last, does not have as meaningful an introduction. I'm told that not every child can be your favorite, and so it is for stories. Not everything comes from the heart. It started off as my first attempt at flash fiction, which is to say, sub-500 words, and spiraled into its current iteration. It's sci-fi again. So, let's get down to it. This story's called, Hello. I check my phone on the bedside table. It's 11.14pm, and I've got to get up in six hours for my shift at the hospital. A beam of intense light flashes into the bedroom, and I peek out from behind our blackout curtains to see the Carter boy standing atop our decorative boulders again, tactical flashlight in hand. For the tenth consecutive night, his figure taints what would otherwise be an exquisite homage to nature's beauty. The stones are the centerpiece of our lawn's drought-tolerant xeriscaping, their dusky pink hues contrasted with veins of ocean blue and turquoise. They are exquisite, formed over millions of years, and cost me over twelve grand. Also, this little booger could scuff them up. Damn summer break, I grumble. My annoyance at the Carter boy manifests as a tension headache, which I can feel take root at the base of my skull. To me, the boy has no name, like the horseman of the apocalypse. Personally, I think he'd make an excellent pestilence. They name hurricanes, though, don't they? Disasters, though, they may be, probably out of a desire to feel in control. People feel less small, less vulnerable, if they think that a Harvey, or an Andrew, or a Katrina, ravages cities, instead of the invisible hand of nature trying to purge humanity away. After the third day of this onslaught, a Saturday, I went over to the Carters to inquire why. Perhaps we had slighted them somehow, and they'd unleashed their son to exact revenge. Mrs. Carter answered the door dressed in workout clothing, undoubtedly at leisure, because I've never seen her break a sweat. The mineral tang of white wine on her breath, at 10 a.m. impressively enough, explained her excessive amusement with my question and slurred speech. Oh, that? Isn't that something? Our last movie night, we watched Contact. You know, the old one with Jodie Foster? And he's been at it ever since. It's cute, right? Anyway, thanks for keeping an eye on him while he's out there, Mrs. Carter tells me, swinging the door shut to ensure our interaction was terminated. The Carters had once watched Louie, our Australian terrier, during a family emergency. Naturally, in accordance with suburban etiquette, I must return the favor by allowing their spawn to traipse on my property and accost me with military-grade flashlights. The Carter boy is spinning the flashlight now by the wrist strap. I recall the technique from a survival show, something about making a light visible from further away. Oh, it works all right, as the strobe effect easily penetrates, first, our blackout curtains, then my blindfold, and straight through my tightly clenched eyelids. Just say something, Ismael. Celine mutters next to me, her head buried beneath both her pillow and her blankets so that the wisps of her blonde hair are just visible. She's right. So I throw on some sweats and feign a walk with Louis to begin negotiations to end this Vegas-worthy light display. Louis and I are barely out the door when I blurt out, 
Just what in the hell are you even up to this late? With no effort made to conceal my irritation. I don't know how to talk to kids. Never had a reason to. Come to think of it, I don't like kids. I guess there's a reason why Celine and I don't have any. I'm sending a message, the boy replies calmly. His voice matter-of-fact. His attention and head are turned skyward. Mom gets mad if I send them from our yard. I think back to his boozed-up mother, and my anger deflates. Uh, a message? To me? Let me guess. The message is that I'll never sleep again, right? No! The Carter boy giggles. To the aliens, he whispers. Uh-huh. And what's the message? I ask, shocked that I'm now playing along. Hello, the boy says. In what language? I ask. Binary code, duh. The boy sounds insulted by having to answer such obvious questions. Like I'm the nuisance. Do aliens know binary? I ask. The boy shrugs. It's a universal language. Everyone knows about numbers. Clever little bastard, I think. Hey, uh, what's your name again? I ask him. Alex? He responds. Alex, I'm Ismail. I'm taking Louis here for a walk. Think you can pack it in for the night when I get back? Alex finally turns to me, his hazel eyes just visible beneath a tangle of curly hair. Okay, he replies. I leave him to it, and decide walking might make for an effective sleep aid. Not such a menace after all, I say to myself, surprised at how much the kid won me over in our brief encounter. The neighborhood is all shadow, the exception being the branches of the live oak trees, which look like neuron chains when backlit by the LED streetlights. Louis and I circle the block, stopping, as we always do, at his favorite tree. He lifts his right hind leg, and the tight, white curls of his furry haunch are the same gray-white as the moon. I change my mind. Two fingers of whiskey would make a far better tranquilizer, and we start back. Louis leads the way around the corner of our street, and I can see Alex's searchlight still on full display. That's a hell of a flashlight. I gotta ask him where he got it, I tell myself. Just then, a strong gust manifests out of nowhere, tinged with the smell of ozone. Louis emits a low growl, then freezes in place. He sniffs the air, exhales forcefully out of his nostrils, and sprints hard in the opposite direction. Son of a bitch! I curse, straining as the 15-pound terrier nearly pulls my shoulder out of place. Louis in a death spiral against the leash, frantically thrashing and clawing to get free. I'm finally able to reel him in, pinning his wriggling body against mine, and can feel his heart pounding through his chest and mine. The walk only took eight or so minutes, but Alex is nowhere to be seen. Alex must have taken the hint, I think, somewhat disappointed that I'd miss the little booger. Guess I'll catch him tomorrow. In the struggle with Louis, I'd somehow miss that every light on the block has gone out. Without the light pollution, the night sky is clear as glass, and the stars look brighter than usual. One in particular catches my eye, a radiant orb brighter and double the size as the rest. Its trajectory is bouncy, like a skipping stone on the surface of a pond. It continues like this for a few seconds longer, before arcing away with such speed that I'm not sure it was there to begin with. Alex's flashlight lies behind one of our boulders. I pick it up and notice a spiderweb crack on the lens like it had been dropped. This is strange, 
for the only thing Alex seems to love more than keeping me awake is this flashlight. A thought creeps into my mind, but it's impossible, so I try to brush it off. It lingers, migrating down until it's settled in my chest and is joined by a growing sense of dread. I decide to check with the Carters, just to be sure. Hey, hello? Mr. Carter answers. His eyes glint weakly in the starlight. The rest of him is swaddled in darkness. Ismail, is that you? Did your lights go out too? Yeah, it's me. Hey, did Alex call it quits already? I ask. I just want to make sure he made it home. Mr. Carter shakes his head. His face does something funny then. The muscles seize all at once. The resulting grimace would not look out of place on someone who'd perforated their bowels. Then his face is wiped of all expression. He looks over my shoulder at the dark expanse hanging behind me, eyes quickly welling with tears. He puckers his mouth into a tight ball and groans in between heaving sobs. The red and blue emergency lights appear in three minutes flat and wash over the neighborhood. The lights have no effect on the starscape above. The spectral fog of the Milky Way plumes over the night. It looks almost like an impending storm, a hurricane maybe, further evidence of how small and vulnerable we really are. Thank you for listening to today's story. If you liked it, you can help me out in the following ways. Share it and spread the word. You can also keep up to date on the latest episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, please rate the show there. It's currently one of the few platforms that uses ratings and might help with growth. If you think there's room for improvement, you can leave me feedback on my website, howdoesthisend.co, or at hdte.mp3 on Instagram. Feedback that helps me improve would be great, or you can just pop in and say hi. If you really enjoy the story and would like to do more, you can support the podcast by joining my Patreon, where you can participate as a member of my writer's advance. I'm currently on hiatus from nursing, trying to make writing and storytelling my full-time gig, so any support would help with that and keep the stories coming. The link, patreon.com slash howdoesthisend, is in the description. This episode's artwork was done by Diego Almasan of Warped Core Studio, Diego is a game developer, 2D artist of extraordinary talent, and a friend of mine. Be sure to check out his website, warpedcorestudio.com, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. The How Does This End podcast is a Stumblewell production, and is brought to you for Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. Thank you for listening.